the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Jesus, he has just given one of the greatest displays of love there in the Passover celebration, telling them how much he longed to spend this time with them, how he was looking forward to all the meaning that would be there. And then, of course, he explains how it all points to him and that and when they celebrate this feast moving forward, it won't be to remember the first Passover, but it would be to remember the the true Passover, him, the Passover lamb. Luke doesn't record this, but by this point in time, when we get to verse 24, Jesus has washed their feet. And so he has showed them humility and a servant's mindset in addition to that amazing love. Judas, by this point, will have now left to get the temple guards, but he's not the only one who's ignored the significance of what Jesus has done this night. Because it's into this setting of love and service and humility that an argument breaks out among the rest of the disciples over who's the greatest, which gives Jesus an opportunity to teach them and us about what it means to serve like the master. So chapter 22, verse 24, it says, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. That word also is extremely important because it means in addition to. Well, in addition to what? Well, verse 23, wondering who the betrayer was. Jesus, who had displayed his wonderful joy and being with them and, and, and his love for them, that he's going to go for the, to the cross for them, that he was their Passover lamb, he said, but behold, the hand of him that betrays me is with me at the table. And in great sadness, he said that. And the disciples are all looking at each other going, who do you think it is? Who do you think it is? And there was also a strife. In addition to that, there was a strife among them. The word there, strife, means a readiness or desire to argue. It's not just that an argument broke out, but within the midst of this wondering who the betrayer was, there was an eagerness, a readiness to have their favorite debate, their favorite argument, which was which one of them should be accounted the greatest. The word account there means to be chosen as superior. Which one of them would be chosen as the one to have the highest status in the kingdom of God? See, the disciples believed that some of them, a few of them, would be chosen for a special place in God's kingdom if they proved their worth as a disciple. So they regularly argued over who would have that status. And it didn't take much for the conversation to go from who do you think it is, to, well, of course it's not me. I'm one of the greatest, right? That's exactly what happened here. Peter's looking over at John. He goes, you know who it is? And you know, John's probably going, I've got my eye on that Thaddeus. I've always had my eye on him. And he said, but I don't know. I don't know. Thaddeus, he's a nice guy sometimes. And he looked at Peter and Peter's going, don't look at me. I'm going to be Pope someday. (laughs) 
Peter said, they all started this argument over, don't look at me. I'm one of the elite. I'm one of the ones that's going to be chosen for that special place in the kingdom. We already had this argument a thousand times. There was an eagerness, a readiness to have this debate where they measured themselves against themselves when this topic came up of who the betrayer was. The disciples' insensitivity to both Jesus' great joy to spend this time with them, to ruin this time with this silly argument, and their insensitivity to his sadness at what's coming, it's kind of shocking to us, right? That at this moment they would have this argument. But that's what happens when the only person I'm thinking about is me. I'd say and do crazy things. I have things that I have said and done that if I had a time machine, there would be no doubt in my mind what time period of my life I would go to first. And where I would pull myself aside before I did or said that thing and said, if you do this, I am waiting the shadows and I will take you out. But that's the problem when you're thinking about yourself. You don't think you're being insensitive. These guys didn't think they were being insensitive or selfish because when they measured themselves against others, well, they were clearly better. But you and I are not supposed to measure ourselves against other people. We're supposed to measure ourselves against Jesus. And Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, this mindset, this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though being in the form of God, the very essence of God, did not think his deity something, all the privileges of deity, something to be grasped, to be held on to at all costs. That he would say, no, no, this is the greatest thing. That's why I, I always get a little leery when people try to raise God's sovereignty so high above all those other attributes because the Lord Jesus himself said, no, what was, I was willing to lay that down, all the rights of my sovereignty to lay it down to rescue you. God's character is whole. And, and that mindset of humility and love and service that brought the incarnation about, that brought him to the earth, that's the mindset we're supposed to have. We don't measure ourselves against others and go, I'm more humble than them or I'm more spiritual than them or I'm more faithful than them. We measure our service, our our humility, our love against Jesus, which means there's always gonna be room for growth, right? (laughs) So there's always room that we should always have that humble mindset. Now, thankfully, this argument doesn't get to go on because Jesus steps in with an important lesson for them and us about greatness. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that, they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. We might translate that public servants today. But you shall not be so. The kings of the Gentiles, those who are in charge of nations, they exercise lordship over those Gentiles, over the people that they're kings of. The phrase to exercise lordship over, it's not that you just have authority. It means to behave as if you're more important than someone and have the right to tell them what to do because you're more important than they are. That's what this is. It means to lord it over someone, to say that you have more intrinsic value than someone else. You have more importance than they do. And therefore, because of that, you have the intrinsic right to tell them what to do. He said, that's how kings see themselves. And they that exercise their authority, they rule or reign, they're called benefactors. Those who assist, those who render help. God has no problem with authority. God set up a structure in the, in the garden. He, he has a structure now, the way things are to be today. And 
there will be structure in heaven. People say, you know, people say, I, I, don't, I don't like authority. Well, then you're not going to like heaven because you don't have any say in heaven, okay? Jesus is in charge, and that's how it goes. People say, oh, democracy is the greatest thing. No, it's not. The, the Bible says that God will destroy that, and he'll set up a benevolent dictatorship. That's the best form of government. And when you have a, a dictator who is good and who is kind and who loves you immensely, then it's awesome, <laughs> right? You know, authority, God's okay with authority. That's not the problem here. It's the mindset of seeing myself as better, that I'm actually no better what's in your best interest. And therefore, because I am intrinsically better than you, I have the right to order you around. It's the idea of nobility, that some people have better blood. They're just better human beings. They're more valuable, more important human beings than others. Now, that notion of a nobility, that's not old or new. It's ingrained into our selfish, ambitious nature. Each and every one of us think we are better than others. So, no, I don't, Pastor Will. I, I just think I'm the worst person in the whole wide world. That proves that you think you're better because you actually think you're capable of being better, but you can't, you're not doing it. You know, people say, oh, you know, I, I, I just have such a problem, you know, with, with self-esteem. No, you don't. You have too much of it. You think of yourself way too much. Way too much. You think you should be better than you are. Like, you know, I love what Pastor Romaine said once. He said, the only thing, that, he said, God isn't shocked by your sin. It's not like God's up in heaven when you fail and, and he looks over at Gabriel and goes, do you believe what Will just did? He's been my child for all these years. I would have never imagined he'd do such a thing. No. He said, God expects you to do one thing, fail. That's why I said Christ. We need a savior every day. It is ingrained, this idea of nobility, that I'm better or I know better. I've got better ways of doing things, better ideas. It's ingrained into our selfish, ambitious, sinful nature. We long to be served rather than to serve. We long for others to lay their lives down for us rather than to lay our lives down. Because I believe my life is worth more. That's what the idea of nobility means. My life is worth more. That mindset, that idea, that ideology is supposed to die when we decide to follow Jesus. He says, but you shall not be so. The word you there means you all. All of you should not think this way. Anyone who wants to be Christ's disciple, anyone who wants to be a Christian, that needs to die. That mindset that I have more value than you do. Therefore, that's why I should be served first. Why you need to lay down your life for me. That idea needs to die for anyone who wants to follow Christ. What mindset are we supposed to have? Well, Jesus tells us, but instead, he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that does serve. So Jesus gives us two concepts here that are to embody our Christianity, our approach and our mindset as, as it revolves how we live and how we look at service and how we look at life. He says, number one, instead of the way the world does things, the, the world does leadership and authority and all that kind of stuff, he says, he that is greatest among you, the one that's going to have the highest status, let him be as the younger. The phrase, let him be as in the middle voice, which means let him make himself exist as. It has to be, it's a willful choice on your part to say, I'm going to be this way. And so it should be translated, let him act like this. Act like what? The younger. Now, in our culture, 
youth and strength and beauty are, are tend to be pride to the point where you see billboards, you know, we can restore your youth and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm not saying that that youth doesn't have its advantages in some senses. I, I have grown to find that many of the ideas that we consider to be valuable are wasted on the youth <laughs> in the idea of what we value and, and, and treasure and prize and try to hold on to. I have found that beauty and strength, it tends to, I look at things differently, those things differently these days. But youth back then, like someone who was younger back then would never be considered more valuable. In fact, you'd be considered a, a liability. If you were young, you know, particularly if you were a kid, we couldn't work. So you're considered a liability. And so in that culture, the younger person always had the lowest status. They were never viewed as more important than someone who was older than them. And as such, the younger always served the older. You know, if you walked into a room back then and you were the younger and there was a spill on the floor, you immediately looked around and go, I'm the youngest. And you went and did it. You went and picked it up. You didn't wait for someone else to do it because you knew you were going to get told to do it. So you just went and did it. A good example of this is in Acts chapter 5, verse 6. Ananias and Sapphira struck dead for lying to the Lord. And it mentions that the young men took the bodies out. That's just how it was back then. If something needed to be done spontaneously, you know, you didn't look to grandpa to take care of it. You didn't look to your mom to take care of it. You looked out and you said, I'm the youngest in the room. It's on me. The idea of the younger, it's a mindset. It's a mentality. If you want to have the highest status in God's kingdom, boys, he says, you need to adopt the mindset of and act like the younger person would. That if something needs to be taken care of, you don't wait for someone else to do it. You adopt it as your responsibility. One of the things that blew me away and had such an impact upon me was Pastor Chuck. I never claimed to have known Pastor Chuck. I had a few conversations with him, but they were always in a group setting. So it's not like I, I knew the man. However, I did get to observe him as a pastor. I worked at the youth camp uh, in Green Valley, and so he would be there every weekend. In summers, he'd be there more than the weekends. It was his favorite place to be. He just loved the kids, always wanted to be teaching them, always wanted to be spending time with them, shooting the basketball ball with them, riding down on a, a snow flume thing on a, a, an inner tube. We were always panicked. We're like, Pastor Chuck's going to die because he's 80 years old and he's on these things where they tumble over. And I, we went on him and I had this big old bruise on my side and just, you know, but he just loved being there. But the thing that struck me the most out of, besides just the love for these kids is his service towards him. The way California has their laws, or at least did back then, when the kids would have their eat their lunch or their breakfast or their dinner and they had their leftovers, you couldn't just throw them in the trash. You had to grind them up in the garbage disposal and dispose of them that way, just the way the laws were. When they would come back, they would take those half-eaten slices of pizza or toast or whatever it might be, and they would just dump them in the slop bucket filled with milk and soggy Cheerios and whatever else was in there. They'd throw it in there, and we had to then take it to the, to the garbage disposal, and you put your hand in there, and you scoop it out, and then you got to make sure it gets in, and it's just nasty. So you're all dismissed for lunch, by the way. <laughs> I got paid to do that. I never did the slop bucket. And you want to know why? Because Pastor Chuck always beat me to it. He was always back there already putting his hands in the, in the garbage disposal and all in the muck and the mire. I remember thinking to myself, because it's funny, we had other pastors who would come up and they, would, they wouldn't even eat with us. When we would take our break and have lunch, Pastor Chuck would almost always eat with us. If he wasn't doing something with the kids, he'd eat with us. They would go and eat off in their own little table or whatever. You know. Not all of them, just a few of them, a few of them that are not serving the Lord today. It struck me that servant's heart, he never saw anything as beneath him. He never saw anything as someone else's responsibility. 
If something was on the ground and somebody dropped, he picked it up. He didn't look around and go and say, somebody going to pick this up? He always saw himself as the younger. Jesus then gives a second illustration. He says, and he that is chief or the leader, as he that does serve. The word there means to render assistance, especially in menial or humble tasks. If you and I want to have the highest status in God's kingdom, we need to adopt the mindset of, of, a, of a waiter, of a server. When you go to the restaurant, I mean, they wait on you hand and foot. I mean, they bring you a drink. They clean up your mess. We, we always try to tell our kids, you say, listen, somebody has to clean this up. Don't make a mess. And I encourage you, if you have kids, don't let them just throw stuff everywhere. Bad witness. But if you're the server, you don't get to go to that table and go, you guys are making a mess. Clean up your mess. You're going to lose your job, right? You can't look at it and say, I'm above, I'm above this. You just have to take care of it. You have to adopt that mindset, even though you might be wealthy or whatever outside of that environment. And so that's what we need to do. Adopt the mindset of a servant, taking on the most menial tasks, never seeing them as beneath us. Now, kings back then certainly didn't do that. No, 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 no. They didn't see themselves as the younger or the servant. They saw themselves as noble, as better, better blood, and therefore the ones to be served. Christians are to not have that mindset, never to have that mindset. Christianity is not a consumer service. Did you know that? It's not a consumer service. It's funny because people say, oh, I, don't like the, I don't like the worship music here. Okay, well, you're not, it doesn't matter. It's not for you. You don't get a vote. Like, well, it's not for you. It's not, we're not singing for you. We're, not, we're doing it to him, you know? So, you know, and he, he says everything's a joyful noise. So we try to make our noises a little bit better, but still the point is it's not for you. It's not a consumer service. We are not a business offering a product. That's not what the church is. It's not a consumer environment. I don't like the pastor. I don't like that church. I don't like the way they do the lights. I don't like the carpet. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like the way they do their women's ministry. I don't like the way they do their men's ministry. None of that matters. In fact, none of that should ever even matter in how you choose a church. What you should do is say, Lord, where do you want me to serve? Where church do you want me to serve at? That's, that's what it is. Now, it doesn't mean you don't come here and try to meet needs or bless you or whatever, because we're trying to serve you, obviously. But the point is, everyone should come with a heart that's not to be a consumer, but a servant. Can you imagine what a church would be like if every single person came and said, how can I help? How can I serve? Miss Rhonda would never panic every, every time she has to get new teachers, right? Because people just go, how can I serve? How can I bless these kids? How can I bless these socks off these kids this year like they've never had their socks blessed off before, right? Christianity, it's, it's not just not a consumer experience. It's not even a give and take experience. It's not a, well, you know, pastor, if you do good for me, I'll do good for you. But the minute you do bad for me, I'm gone. Do you know how hurt people are here when someone just ups and leaves? Most of the time it's because they got mad at me or somebody else who's in leadership somewhere. And they'll get mad and then they'll just go. And I'll have people that will come to me and say, hey, where did so-and-so go? I say, well, I think they left. I think they're going to another church. Really? Why? Why didn't they let me know? Why didn't they say goodbye? I, I can't tell you how many times I hear these words. I thought I was their friend. Do you know how many times I hear, I've done this for 23 years, how many times I've heard those words, I thought I was their friend. Friendship isn't a give and take experience. It's a lay down your life for someone else experience. And that's what the Christian experience is as well. It's not a consumer service. It's not a give and take 
experience. It's a lay down your life for others experience. See, the way the world views things, it's completely upside down. Thinking I'm better and, or I deserve this or I should be the one served in this situation. It's upside down. And we know that that's true because this verse that we said here, the younger and the, the servant, the waiter, that's the mindset Jesus took. That's the role Jesus took. Look at verse 27. He says, for which is greater? He that sits down to eat or he that serves? You know, when you go down to eat, who's, who's in the more authoritative position at that point in time? Well, you are. You're the guest, right? And the customer's always right. So they've got to serve you if they're going to keep their job, if they want to keep your business, they've got to take care of you. So in that situation, that scenario, the way the, the world does it, you would be considered the greater. No different back then. Of course, he says, it's he that does it, is not he that sits down to eat. But then Jesus shows the contrast, verse 27. But is that what I did tonight? No. I am among you as he that serves. He says, you see how upside down things are? Obviously, I don't like going somewhere and getting bad service. And uh, certainly, I will not necessarily frequent a place that's going to give bad service. But one of my chief concerns when I go somewhere is not being served, even though I'm paying for it. One of my, my chief goals is how can I be a light? How can, how can my family be a light? So if they make a comment and say, man, your kids are so well-behaved, I say, well, it's all Jesus because <laughs> it's not us. We're still learning as parents. And then sometimes their eyes glaze over or sometimes, you know, they get, I'll write verses on my, you know, when I tip them. I always tip well too, by the way, whether they deserve it or not because I want to leave a good testimony. And I leave a verse, I tell them God loves them. So that's not fair. That's not just. Spoken like a true American, but not spoken like a Christian. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of mercy. Jesus, he served them. Even though they're arguing, he served them. Even though he knew they'd be arguing, he served them the Passover meal. He washed their feet, and he was about to die for them on the cross. Listen, if Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who has the highest status, if he can adopt that mentality and act this way, then what's my excuse? I don't have one. John, the apostle, in his gospel, elaborates on Jesus' teaching about this that night in John 13 when he says, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. That's true. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You know I'm your Lord. You know I'm your master. But look at what I've done. Do you see how different that is from the way kings operate? Your idea of leadership, do you see how different it is? I am among you as one who serves. You're not greater than me. <laughs> the servant is not greater than his master. So you call me master, that's right. So why should you do any differently? He says, you'll be so blessed if you understand this truth and you live it out. Understanding and living out this truth is one of the keys to a blessed life. Giving your life away. Giving your life away. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, Ambition, self-esteem, and self-conceit lie deep at the bottom of all men's hearts and often in the hearts where they are least suspected. Self-esteem. 
me and Bev were having a conversation last night because, you know, our kids are taught all the time, you know, you need to have self-esteem, you need to have self-esteem. What a demonic teaching. Seriously, what a demonic teaching. Can I just exhort you, lovingly exhort you? Please don't listen to people like Joel Osteen. This is not about you feeling wonderful, all right? Like, like I tell my kids all the time, life isn't about having fun. Life isn't about having a good time. Life isn't about doing whatever you need to do to be happy. Life isn't doing what you, I'm gonna give you a four-letter word here, so just, you know, maybe you wanna close your ears. Life isn't about how you feel. I don't feel like loving my spouse sometimes. I don't feel like being a good dad sometimes. I don't feel like being a good pastor sometimes. I don't feel like doing a lot of different things that I know I'm supposed to do. Obedience isn't about feeling. It's about a choice, an act of the will. We don't need self-esteem. Here's the cool thing. To know that I'm not good, that I'm not wonderful, and I'm not smart, and I'm not special, and that the one who knows the deepest, darkest, ugliest parts of me still loves me immensely. Why do I need self-esteem? <laughs> I don't need any of that junk. I'm loved by the one who knows me even though I'm not good. Even though I'm not wonderful. Even though I am lousy a lot of the time. And he still loves me and he proved it when he died for me on the cross. And he's still serving me and he's still blessing me and he's still working in my life. Self-esteem is demonic. It's, it's so unbiblical because it seeks to take the thing, God's love, which is supposed to undergird us and be the foundation of our lives and supplant it with sand. Because I don't know about you, there are many days when I look at myself and I get the accurate look of what's inside this ugly place. And it's so, sometimes it's hard to bear. It causes despair. Do you think I'm capable of that? I'm capable of thinking that? I'm capable of saying that and doing that? But I don't despair because I know I'm loved by the one who knows all that. And his passion for me is blazing and never dimming. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.